Today I have such an exciting episode for you. I first met Dr. Saran Yu earlier this year in Bangkok, Thailand, when we were holding our Thailand user group meeting, and he was presenting his research on the Geomix Digital Spatial Profiler, looking at the transcriptome of hair follicles in androgenetic alopecia. He was kind enough to agree to come onto the podcast to talk about his work, along with his PhD candidate, Dr. Sassin. Dr. Sassin is a medical dermatologist and is working with Dr. Saranyu on the Geomix experiments and adds insight to the contrast between the lab bench and the clinic. This is the Spatial Navigator podcast brought to you by Nanostring. Here at Nanostring, we believe that spatial genomics is at the forefront of discovery and translational biology research. We present the work that researchers are doing in the field and share our initiatives to engage and support them. Dr. Saranyu and Dr. Sassin, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jirathan. Thank you for here today as well. Could I take maybe five minutes to get you to introduce yourselves? I'm Dr. Saranyu Honikorn. I'm come from Jurapon International College of Medicine. Actually, I am biochemist and my research focusing on stem cells and also the stem cell inside the skin tissue as well as how to utilize the omic technology for this failing molecular mechanism inside unanswered skin disease, especially androgenic alopecia and some skin disease such as forensics. And Dr. Sassin? Actually, I, I am a medical doctor. I'm graduated from uh, Faculty of Medicine, Sierra Hospital in Bangkok, Thailand, but now I am doing my PhD at Jolaphorn International College of Medicine, and Dr. Sranyu is my advisor. And the research that I mainly focus uh, now is about hair loss, especially the, uh, a common hair loss, which is we call endogenetic alopecia. The main research that I am doing now is the one that running with GMX DSP. Interesting. Could I get your perspective on how the study of genomics has changed, especially within the dermatological field? So far, for the dermatological fields, mostly they start in animal model first. And a few studies that they establish the HBO organs, such as the hair organ culture, or establish some cell from the patient to study the dermatological disease. But actually, when we deeply concerned about the, the pathogenesis of the skin disease, it's more associated with the microenvironment. This is the keyword that we found that every type of skin disease, we have to concern about the microenvironment, allow the pathology lesion. So that's why when we study such as isolate the cell from the patient, relax some the environment from the key molecule that in contribute for the molecular pathogenesis inside. If we study in the animal model, okay, we can construct some clinically uh, issues and comparable with the human, but actually the mouse and the human is totally different. So the truth that we can look for the whole molecular pathway inside the tissue biopsy that we, that we can capture, including the lesion and other Microenvironment is a key that we try to using the omic technology for this. So when we think about the omic technology, we have to weigh the first genomics 
and the second is the proteomics. So if we do proteomics, we cannot capture other microenvironment factors at the same that we use the cell culture. But if we use the genomics, we can capture more detail or the more molecule that we can capture from the lesion and we can capture from the other tissue around this. This is why we focus for the genomic first and why we select the genomics from nanothing to study of our research. Sassen, do you have anything to add from the clinician's perspective? Actually, I have been doing this kind of research only for about two years, so I do not see the whole historical change of genomics. But in my opinion, as just only two years of my experience in the research, at the beginning, I used proteomics in studying hair loss. But at that time, which is around two years ago, I think the question that always comes up to me is how we can tell that what we observe come from which part of the tissue because we disintegrate all of the tissue. And what we are focusing is on hair follicles, which is just only a part of the skin tissue. So it is like, a big obstacle for me to answer this question. Fortunately, the turning point when I happened to know GMX DSP, which Dr. Sren you introduced to me, at that time, it made me feel like, oh, this will bring me the answer. Because actually, at that time, we decided to do... You decide to think of genomics first, yeah. But I also think that single cell is a good technology but what i would like to see is the interaction of the cell in the innovation of the substructures in in a specific location so single surgery make which we need the tissue this agent as well is will not answer my question and that made makes the best choice for me I think something that was coming to mind as you were talking about focusing on hair follicles, I mean, even if you were to take two centimeter by two centimeter segment of skin, the population of follicles is very insignificant compared to the rest of the cells, if I'm correct. Yes. Yes. And then even then, when you dissociate everything, you're sort of losing everything that you would appreciate from a pathophysiological perspective, right? Yes. yes. Right. Right. So then now you can't differentiate between what exactly you're looking for versus, say, a normal follicle. Am I in the right ballpark? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. yeah. Because when we look at the whole tissue of the skin, specimen, hair scalp, you can see the hair follicle inside. So the first you have to know that the hair follicle is very, very dynamic, meaning organ. It has a different stage from the anagen to cathagen to telogen in the hair scalp. So when you use or when you utilize the type of genomic technology such as the single cells, you dissociate the tissue, right? So you cannot see whether the cells or the molecule come from which size of the tissue in the hair scalp. You cannot mapping in the whole tissue. So this is the one challenging that we cannot do single cell genomics to map all molecules in the hair scalp tissue. So this is why we try to use some technology that can answer our question because we would like to understand what are the key molecules inside the tissue, inside the hair follicle, 
during the dynamic cycle of each hair follicle inside the hair scalp. And then I ask the question is, what are the key molecules from niche or micro environment around the hair follicle inside the hair scalp tissue? So this is the chart. To be challenging that why we have to select the nano sync technology, geometry DSP for our research. Because the first one, it can map the molecule inside the whole tissue. And another one is the transcriptome analysis. We can understand the differential gene expression in each particular region that we focus in the hair scalp tissue. That is why the advantage of this kind of technology. Yeah, exactly. And then also the options that you have in terms of whether you want to do whole transcriptome analysis or proteomic analysis, right? Because I think you were mentioning earlier that initially you went a lot more down the transcriptomic path because the limitations with protein, right? Yep. And then could you give me an idea of some of the findings and if you could describe the project that you did as well with the Geomics DSP and then some of the findings that you got from them? I would like to a little bit talk about um, backgrounds because in the disease that we are looking to is androgenetic alopecia. From its name, it's caused by androgen and genetics, which is the main factor that is well known for every hair doctors. The thing is, because of that, any research focus on only hormone androgens, which we now know that androgen affect the hair follicle at a small mesenchymal structure called the mobula at the base of hair follicles. And the budding scalp have more androgen receptor and more sensitive to androgen. Many doctors know about um, androgen that uh, is the main factors for androgenic alopecia. The structure in, in hair follicles that responds to androgen is mainly dermopopula, which is uh, a mesenchymal structure at the base of hair follicles. And many research are intensively focused on these structures, dermopopulas. But there are also many reports that in many histological reports, they find that other structures other than the mobula, other structures in other parts, specifically in the upper to middle part of hair follicles, also have some change. For example, immune cell infiltrates in the upper part of hair follicles, the stem cell and progenitor loss at around the upper and middle part of follicle as well. So only a few research that focus on the change in these parts. And most of the research is just like a descriptive, like describe the change that occur in, in, in the histology. But what we want to know is what are, are actually happening in that structure. So that's why we utilize the TMX DSP to capture the transcriptional profile of immune cell. The first part is immune cell at the upper part of hair follicle, but not other parts. And the second part is we would like to capture the transcriptional profile of stem cell and progenitor cell at the middle part of hair follicle. And we hope to see 
the change in each compartment and hope to see some interaction between these two compartments around the middle to upper part of half of the coast. And what we see now is some kind of immune polarization that's specific to androgenetic alopecia compared with normal hair follicles and some specific cytokines that may contribute to the appearance of androgenetic alopecia. And then in the part of stem and progenitor cells, there is a report that demonstrates the loss of stem and progenitor cell at this area, but we don't know what makes their loss. There is a hypothesis that the stem cell cannot convert into progenitor cell, but it's still just a hypothesis. So we want to know more exactly that what is happening at this part. What we see is progenitor cells have some transcriptional change that make it tend to be converted into other type of cells and exit the hair microenvironment. And that is another explanation for the progenitor cell loss in endogenic alopecia. And we see a little bit some interaction between immune cells that infiltrate around this part and progenitor cells. So we think that it would be great if we can target this mechanism and it will be another treatment that we can complement with anti-androgen to be like more effective treatment options. Like Dr. Sajid said, I would like to ask more information for you guys that when you think about the hair loss in male patients, you can see when you have five males, one or two people suffer with the hair loss, maybe 10 to 20% in male people have suffered with androgenetic alopecia. So when we look at the treatment option, we found that we have very few treatment options for the hair disorder in male. The first USFDA approved is phenesteride and minoxidil treatment. But phenesteride targets the androgen and try to inhibit the androgen function. As Dr. Sassin said about the balding area of the hair scalp of the male patient, are the more popular cell very sensitive to the androgen. That's why the androgen can destroy the, the more popular cells. This is the pathogenesis that everyone understand about this. And the phenacylide can inhibit the androgen. So when phenacylide inhibit the androgen, the effects or the adverse effect of the phenacylide that every male don't want is the erectile dysfunction. I think a few incidents can happen in the male patients. So many patients try to refuse about the treatment with the phenacylide. Another one is the minoxidil, right? Doctor Sasen, you can add information during my talk if I uh, lost some medical term. Minoxidil is just a compound that can increase the VEGF cytokines or enhance the blood flow. And this can increase the nutrient, increase the oxygen for the hair follicle. So this is not the targeted therapy for the hair loss, but the effect is, I think the effect is good. Dr. Sassin, it's good yeah. for the minoxidil, right? Yeah, yeah, quite good. Yeah, yeah quite good. But, but many patients have irritate. Many Ir- patients have some irritation when they use a uh, prolonged use of the minoxidil treatment. So other 
treatment options such as laser treatment and PRP treatment, or eventually the hair transplantation, the last option for the hair loss treatment. But it still functions, but patients still have recommendation about using the phenacillin after hair transplantation. So I think when we consider about the treatment for the hair loss, you can see very few treatment, but actually the pathology you can see in many people, in many males. And we think about why we cannot understand a whole mechanism or a key mechanism about the hair loss in males. As Dr. Sassin mentioned about, we forget two regions. Why we have to forget in two regions? Because other people haven't addressed about two parts. Many researchers focusing on report on the morbidilis. Few people that focus on the hair follicle stem cells. So this is the, it difficult for isolating hair follicle stem cells from human and culture and look for the mechanism. It's really difficult. So that's why we use this kind of technology and focus the operation of the stem cell inside the real tissue of the hair scalp and also connect some immunology profiling that we can map from the previous pathological study about the immune infiltration in the hair scalp tissue of the androgenetic alopecia patient. When we get to information about this, I think we discover some new mechanisms that associate between immune function that we can call as the microenvironment and also the stem cell and progenitor cell inside the hair follicle. So that is the state of the some validation state that we can confirm about our hypothesis is correct or not. That is the thing that we would like to share with you. I wanted to ask for the tissue sample, how was the tissue sample obtained? Was it a core needle biopsy? We obtained the tissue by punch biopsy, quite similar to core needle, I think. The tissue will come as a cylindrical shape, and we cut the tissue in vertical section to see the long axis of half follicle. Another question that I had was when you were talking about the stages of hair loss within a certain lesion or region within a patch of hair loss, are there different stages happening within several follicles within a certain region? So it could be, say, stage one, stage two, stage three of hair loss within a region. Yeah, actually, there's two aspects of the differences in hair. The first thing is the stage of growing hair. Normally, the hair follicle come across growing phase, regression phase, and resting phase, and growing phase again. And in human skull, this event occur randomly between each individual hair follicles. And another thing is on the skull of androgenetic alopecia patients, there are two different kinds of hair. The first thing is the normal hair, which is thick and long hair and darker. But the other type of hair we call miniaturized hair, turning to like smaller, lighter hair. And the first thing that I said, the state of hair cycle, it means like temporal difference in hair cycle stage occur. And the difference in the hair features, small and large hair also occur around the same area in on the scalp. So this is another challenge that we, in this project, we try to homogenize the stage and the feature of hair and 
TMX very useful to do something like this because we can see exactly what stage those have follicle are currently in and whether it is large or small hair. And we can select the only one stage that we want based on like histology. Yeah, I think when Dr. Sassen was explaining, it seems like a lot of people have done isolated studies within just the stem cells or just the immune cell infiltration, but not combining the two, because I think it's more of a complex issue. But then they're sort of trying to pick apart the what before the why, like the mechanisms in which it's happening, right? Yeah. That being said, from your perspective, would you say that this is the biggest gap in dermatology? A lot of stuff is observed, but not entirely understood in terms of mechanism. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is the biggest gap in dermatological research. And for me, this kind of gap also happened in other dermatological diseases. Yeah. yeah, and there's another kind of gap in dermatological disease. For example, actually, in most of the dermatological disease, we depend a lot on visual observation. What we see on the skin and the feature appearance or distribution of the lesions. And we come to a certain diagnosis and then treatment. But the disease that I think is a good approach so far by seeing the lesion and then classify it into a certain disease. But now the genomics and other omics technology tell me more. I will give you an example of uh, a common disease like atopic dermatitis, which is a common dermatitis in the world. But we normally diagnose it by what we are seeing. But actually now, even early or late disease, or even the disease in younger or older patients, and even the disease that might cause by extrinsic or intrinsic factor, all are different in terms of predominant cell type or cytokines and whole mechanism of disease. So this will make me feel that we need to subclassify the disease into stratify the patient into subclassification to be able to treat more effectively. And that leaves another gap in the medical field. And I think this gap occurs in other fields of medicine as well. Could I understand, coming from a clinical perspective, how different is a lab setting for you, Dr. Sassin? The main difference is in lab setting, we can do it in a more controlled manner. But in the real clinical practice, we are dealing with the whole human body, which are affected by several factors, including like environmental factors, patient lifestyle and others. So we cannot control all these factors. And that may hinder both in terms of treatment of disease and in the research fields as well. Because, for example, in research, due to many factors that we cannot control in the patients. So when we are going to use some drug in the patient, we need a large-scale study to reduce interpersonal variabilities to observe that these drugs are effective in most of the patients. But the biggest difference is what we see in the lab, we can control and we see, okay, this occur. But when we apply to the real patients, we cannot control uh, those factors. And I guess also like the flexibility that you have in terms of 
observation because I think the focus in clinical practice would be treatment. Whereas in a lab setting, you could let an in vitro model just degrade and then understand what's happening after that. Another thing that was mentioned that I found quite interesting was it seems to me that treatment window seems essential. So for example, the therapeutics that you mentioned for the two FDA approved treatments, is there a point where the condition of the patient can only maintain, it cannot get better? Am I right to say that? The point of no return is actually exist in hair loss because actually for endogenetic alopecia, we used to describe it as non-scarring alopecia. So it should be reversible even in the late stage. But now we know that the people who come to the late stage of disease, their hair follicle actually deleted. And possibly because of some fibrosis or stem cell exhaustion or something like that. And at this point, they cannot return. And that's also because I think you mentioned the progenitor cell sort of differentiates itself and exits the microenvironment. So then I'm sort of understanding the complexity because now you're talking about like specific growth factors or conditions in which the progenitor cells are extricating. Yeah. After turning to that point, the only treatment option we have now is hair transplantation, which is just the redistribute the hair follicle from the back of the skull into the front of the skull. Even though this hair follicle seems to be less sensitive to androgen, can maintain longer than the original hair at that area. But eventually, hair loss still progresses and it will go to point of no return again. Dr. Saranyu, I think I remember an analogy that you made back in the Thailand UGM, if you want to share that one. As Dr. Satin mentioned about the point of the no return, we have to think about the scalp similar to the soil. That be if your soil is not good enough, no nutrient anymore. Even you try to plant a new growing plant, see the new plant, it can grow a bit, but eventually it will die because the soil is not proper for the growth or for the development. So that's why we have to understand the soil first. The component of the soil, the key factor that contribute to the androgenic alopecia inside the scalp tissue, what are the contribute functions that can trigger the stem cell loss. If we understand about this, we can decide compound, we can decide the treatment that can improve our soils. We can let other seeds grow. This is my opinion that we have to understand the root cause first. Even you try to use the hair transplantation, we try to use the other treatment. We have to understand extensively knowledge about the hair follicle stem cell, about the microenvironment that's surrounding this is the soil that we be talking about, the key thing for the other drug discovery. What were the things that the geomics could do that other platforms that you tried on hair follicles were just not able to? So we start with the hair scalp tissue biopsy. So we want to map the area that we interest. So the geomix can allow us to use the protein marker to map the area that we interest. From our research, we interest in three key regions associated with the immune cell that we mark with the CD45. And we can capture only the CD45 positive area at the position of the infundibulum of the hair scalp. 
other is CD200. This is the marker of the human hair follicle stem cell that we can mark it at the position that we assume that it is the bulge area of the pool of the stem cell that we can capture. Another marker is the CD34. This is the marker for the progenitor cell that is surrounding from the upper of the hair follicle to the middle of the hair follicle. So we can see the positive cells surrounding of the hair follicle so we can capture. After we match the location of the cell that we interest, we can use this kind of technology for the transcriptome analysis. And we can use the BI platform from the nanosync to identify the group of the gene that differentially expressed. And we can understand the up-regulated gene, down-regulated gene between these regions. And we can use other bioinformatics software for discovery about the upstream regulatory element of the whole pathway that we interest. So that is the advantage of the geomics platform that allow us to do this and map the molecular marker inside the real tissue that we cannot use other technologies to do like this that can answer the question of the interaction between stem cell and microenvironment and also behavior of stem cell during the hair cycling pathway. If I remember correctly, I think the CD200 was also something that was optimized with the TAP team when you were working with them. And then... After that, it was like picking the region of interest around the follicle to sequence just the progenitor cell area that you were looking at, right? Yeah. Would you say that optimization was essential to your findings? So because the team in your said they don't have any experience about the hair scalp tissue. So that we communicate for a long time about the technical issue. We try a lot of specimen about the immunofluorescent assay for probe the CD200, CD34, and map the area that we interest. So it takes time more than six months for the validation of the immunofluorescent assay for two markers. And it's quite surprised because no one used the real human sample for the CD200 and the immunofluorescent assay and for the plastic analysis. That's why uh, people in the North Sing try to do carefully because no one do like this. Yeah, because CD200 is usually used for mouse and rat. Am I right in that? Actually, CD200 exists on both rat and human, uh, but in different location. In mouse and rat, it's expressed in the keratinocyte outside the stem cell region, but in human, it's exactly at the stem cell region. That's so interesting. I did another episode where we were talking about how the immune systems of mice and humans are different in a lot of ways. So then even now, when you're doing animal models on treatments and therapeutics, what you're seeing is more likely to not reflect the response that a human tissue would have because of all these different nuances in expression. Exactly. The population of hair follicle stem cell is really heterogeneous and the different profile between mice and humans as well. And the stage of the hair in the mice and totally different when we start the mice for the treatment or for the developing part of the new drug. So it's just the state of the hair in the mice, only the one state. But in the human, we can see a lot of stage in one particular Tissue. The next couple of questions I was going to ask were more towards personal skincare or treatment or cosmetic and dermatological outcomes. It's more like a hope that the discoveries will translate, right? About 
personalized dermatology. As I mentioned earlier about atopic dermatitis, that even a single disease have different subclassification, and that's why we do need to implement the personalized treatment for each patient. And even a daily skincare. Now, dermatologists try to subclassify the skin type of the patient, and and the classification become more and more. Uh, for example, in the past, we have only four skin type. Oily, dry combination, or sensitive skin dry. But now we have a new classification that try to subclassify it, and it come up with sixteen skin type now. And each each type need tailor made cosmetics products or kind of skincare that suitable for each individual. And I think that in the future. There will be something that we can use to subclassify more and more, and can do something like tailor-made for each individual that uh, will make a better skincare. So I guess when you have all this data that you get off, say the geomics, and if you were to say do many different types of skin, is there a sort of like a hope that you can create a screening tool for patients to then sort of classify them individually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. is a promising tools for yeah. this, especially for the hard If we understand more, and we we can use this type of technology to utilize for hard in male. Female and we can classification about each stage about the progression of the disease and map with the molecular mechanism. So we can modify and develop the personalized skincare for the hair loss treatment and directly for the specific patient. One group of the medicine for the males, other group of the medicine for the females, and some group of the medicine that treat for only early patient. So as you both will know, there's a single cell subcellular platform coming out from Nanostring in a couple of months. Does this sort of excite you because now you're able to really narrow down into cell-to-cell interactions and see everything as it's happening? Especially when you consider why the cells perhaps are differentiating, why there's immune cell infiltration. We exciting about this new platform because. If we have a chance to use a new platform, we can study inside mechanism between different type of the cell inside the whole tissue. So we can p r o b e more than 10 or 20 markers in whole tissue and use the parasitic analysis and map with the different autoimmune or other cell type operation. So I think the cosmic can enhance our result and can discover in-depth analysis from the whole tissue. And I think it can apply for other skin disease as well. For example. Psoriasis that we know a lot about the target cell that have involved the pathogenesis. I think it's useful for dermatology. I think we probably have chance to utilize the cell thing in the future. And then even the new panels that are coming out for it, there's going to be a combination of both RNA and protein in the same assay. So that will be extremely useful, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. I'm waiting for some. Article that use the cosmic. I'm looking for read the article, and I think that we're exciting right now for the cosmic because I follow the email from Nano thing every week, and it sends a lot of information from the cosmic. <laughs> 
me too. <laughs> It's like we can see biology in a lot higher resolution image. It sounds like sci-fi sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> Great, that was extremely insightful. Thank you so much, Dr. Saranyu and Dr. Sasin, for sharing your experience uh, in the dermatological field. And yeah, I I hope to have you on the podcast again when that screening tool comes out. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Spatial Navigator podcast, brought to you by NanoString. If you would like to know more about NanoString's product and panel offerings, or speak to a member of our staff, please visit nanostring.com. You may also get in touch with us through LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. The links to which are in the description. 